0: War, Magic, and the Supernatural. I'm here to bring you a glimmer of hope for tomorrow. This is the Voice of Hope Podcast, and you can call me Beacon, your auditory guide to the safety of Castle Refuge. Note, this episode contains spoilers to several Riffs adventures. If you do not want to be spoiled, please skip this episode. This is a Tomorrow Legion Intelligence Archive recording, access restricted to Crimson Levels, Clearance and Above. Hello, this is an interview that is taking place at the medical station in station 3739. Subject is James Behan, a lieutenant in the Coalition Army from the Coalition State of El Dorado. He's contacted the Tomorrow Legion for a clandestine meeting in the Central Arkansas Territory. When Set 409 arrived, Lieutenant Behan was under attack by a combined force of combat majors and coalition military working and coordination. Lieutenant Behan has several injuries during the melee, and Set 409 brought him here for emergency medical assistance and follow-up intelligence gathering. We received enough information from the Lieutenant, though, so 409 was able to continue on their operation to investigate this clandestine CS operation going on in this region. Lieutenant Behan has recently regained consciousness, and the Mara Legion has requested that I debrief him. Lieutenant Beehan, hello. I uh, hope you're feeling better. Uh, you were brought here by Tomorrow Legion team you requested to meet in the field. My name is Beacon. Uh, Council of Hope asked me to come speak with you. Do you remember what happened prior to your injuries?
1: I do. It was the incident with the Council Bluff facility on the oh. White River.
0: OK, uh, thank you for sharing that. Now, for the record, are you the same Lieutenant James Behan who was involved in the Garnet Town incident? I am. Okay. Thank you for sharing that, sir. Uh, So, you were actually... um, When you were in Garnet Town, just to confirm, so you were in charge of a CS unit that was actually protecting a town of DBs from a demonic attack that was initiated by the Federation of Magic. How'd that go with the unit that you were operating with?
1: See, this is what I think you tomorrow legion folk don't quite understand the coalition exists to protect people specifically humanity so when i told my unit that that's what we were going to do they were on board yeah there's some non-humans in garnet town but that wasn't going to stop us not when demons were there attacking human women and children
0: oh and i completely understand now uh, I don't know if you have got any intel on me i I am former coalition so i I understand your position um but there are some that unfortunately have the view that all dead boys are to be shot on sight, that are every everyone is murder murder every dB that they see so I appreciate your candor. So, from from my understanding, though CS uh, Eldorado prior to joining the CS was it uh, it was DB friendly until it joined the CS. Is that correct, to your knowledge?
1: Once Eldorado joined the coalition, it was required to adhere to the coalition values, and it has aligned with the coalition's focus in the region. That does include certain changes in outlooks and futures for the people on that of el Dorado. i
0: see do you uh personally have any db connections in garnet town or any of those areas uh, and, uh, this conversation is just between us the cs will not get any of this information
1: listen mr beacon i respect you and the choices that you've made but please respect my own i have chosen to remain loyal to the coalition now, does that mean I hate all DBs? No. Does it mean I hate the DBs in Garnetown? No. They worked with us. They helped us. We helped them. It was mutual. But they have no place within coalition territory. That is the bottom line.
0: Okay. Uh, and I respect your decision to maintain where you are within El Dorado. Uh, you know, Loyal members of the coalition are important for both sides. So
1: listen we have our problems too just like i was talking about on the white river the uh the issue with the the falarin and the other magically powered dbs getting kidnapped that was that was an internal matter of coalition forces that had gone rogue and needed to be dealt with and we appreciate it happens
0: no, I understand. I I appreciate you sharing that information with us. Um, we'll just say the side Battalions may or may not have. Uh, there, there are many units that uh, don't. F- that sometimes stray from the path, if you will. Um, from the uh, special ar- exploration team that you worked out in Garnet Town, um, they did offer to bring you to Castle Refuge. Now, I appreciate your candor in in your position. Um, And so you're aware that the Tomorrow Legion will always be here to support your needs if you ever need us. So I want that to be clear for you.
1: And I appreciate that. The aggression of the Federation of Magic in this region is something that could call for allies. Who knows?
0: Uh, Agreed. I mean, the Federation of Magic is one of those uh, areas that the Tomorrow Legion and the Council of Hope are... uh, very concerned with, of course, trying to... Look, Please, go ahead.
1: No, you should be. You should be concerned about the Federation of Magic. They represent everything the Coalition was founded to defend against. They consort with demons, they use black magic, necromancy, they raise the dead, they use uh, elementals to till their fields, and they tell their people that they're free to use whatever they want in pursuit of their own... Uh, goals, of course. Alistair Dunskin being in charge—it's all about him, anyway. This is just propaganda that say that they're free. They're not free. They're thralls. They're enslaved by the magic of the Federation. And this is what would happen to all of North America if the coalition didn't stand in its way. Hmm?
0: No, I—I I don't necessarily disagree with you. Unfortunately, some of the uh, horror that I saw on the front lines in Tolkien, however the the sad reality of it is too that both sides are wrong i mean there i i have seen and have worked with people that there is a way between the extremes of the coalition and the extremes of Dunskin, um and that's uh, and that's really the difficulty in our world of of communicating that to to people and gaining acceptance of those ideas
1: We'll have to agree to disagree a little bit on that beacon, but there are places where the, the Legion's goals and mine do align.
0: Yes, and that actually speaks volumes that you and I can be sitting in the same room and actually having a discussion about it, because from your side, I am a traitor. Uh,
1: my role in the coalition is not to hunt down traitors. I'm a line officer. I deal with threats to humanity. I leave the other stuff for the Colonel Leibach and and uh, the psy agents. Uh, this is this is this is out of uh, outside of what I do.
0: Yeah, and I understand that. Yeah, Leibach. There's an interesting name I haven't heard in a long time. Um. So of course some of this information is just historic so we can uh, confirm and much of what you're saying the tomorrow the set team that uh, was debriefed basically communicated much of the same information so it, it aligns with the personality so i appreciate you sharing it um now you had mentioned uh this current situation the set team brought you in you were injured you were actually fighting a group of both CS and magic-wielding individuals. Can you provide us with more information on what led to that situation?
1: There are some groups inside the coalition that uh, seek to use magic to fight the enemies of the coalition. It's misguided at best. And their efforts in the White River region were using very inhumane methods. The kidnapping and torture of magic using DBs being one of them. Something I'm not particularly comfortable with. As I said, DBs have no place in Coalition te- uh, territory, but I personally, they're they're just people that need to move along. They don't need to be tortured. They don't deserve to have their magic ripped out of their bodies by misguided sorcerers in, inside uh, the, the nation that I serve. I, I wasn't going to stand for that.
0: Well, I appreciate some of your sentiments, and many in the Tomorrow Legion actually are are like me to extend thanks for your position in that. The Feralyn, unfortunately, were a group that, unfortunately, like many, got yanked into our reality with little or no choice on their own, and then suddenly started becoming the sacrifice of choice within this region. We've luckily been able to save several hundred of them, and they are being resettled as we speak. So,
1: Well, if you ask me, you should really be looking into those shifters. Those are the guys that are opening up the rifts and the nexus points and using ley lines to bring people that don't belong on Earth to Earth.
0: Well, in some of... Uh, sadly the reality is much like uh much like within the coalition there are some using the the fist of the cs to do their own bidding much like these sorcerers you were talking about uh, sadly there are some magic wielders that do the same um and there are some that are doing doing good with their powers um trust me uh, in my in my choice that i had to make i definitely had to do some soul searching on some of my personal views and the individuals that i've worked with do have a strong moral center sadly the the people that uh, other organizations that we know have provided good techniques for providing emotional spiritual and mental support for those that are Diving into potential regions that could be damaging anybody, even the CS does that with the uh, the risk control group, if I seem to remember.
1: Uh, you may be better informed on that front than myself, but I- I'll acknowledge the point. Yeah,
0: well, thank you, and, and trust me, like like after the sorcerer's revenge. We'll just say that uh, I had a lot of issues to sort through when it came to <laughs> other worldly creatures, and and well, the CS trained me fairly well to employ my uh, capabilities and weapons against them, but um, thus I've chosen to uh, walk a new path in my life. So,
1: The Sorcerer's Revenge taught us all some very valuable lessons.
0: Well, yeah, and honestly, many that use magic and employ magic also learn some very valuable lessons because, uh, I mean, in certain realms for a long time, Tolkien actually was a kind of a foundation of the magical community in North America, but they decided to side with demons, and most people, that's not okay. Like, even in the Coalition, many others that's not okay with.
1: Some would say that the sorcerer's revenge revealed the true face of Tolkien, something that was there all along, just remaining hidden.
0: Mm, true, but you know, was it? Ne- uh, there's an ancient uh, uh, Earth philosopher, I believe. They actually uh, have videos of this saying uh, on the knowledge boards in Chai Town that when you stare into the monster, or the monster stares back at you. You know. So the question is who, like? And sadly, they weren't going to stand against the might of humanity, but they did everything they could to try.
1: There's a, an old philosopher that I know of as well that said, it's not what you fight against, it's what you fight for. I think Tolkien forgot that.
0: Yeah, true. Actually, even uh, some of the lectures I've heard from uh, Sir Lord Koch sadly unfortunately even the cyber knights had to relearn that lesson and, and it's taking time to heal the wounds of, of that rift So,
1: <laughs> nice play on words <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know hey uh,
0: we'll just say that some of the education I've received from Counselor Comstock is uh, paying off and well uh, transitioning into making my living in a uh, broadcast manner has also helped um, is there anything uh, concerning the uh, the situation you had briefed us on that you want to bring our attention to? Um, anything in our discussion here that you may have uh, that I f- you feel I may have glossed over?
1: There are some mutants that might still be running around. Cyber dogs, uh, heavily armed, uh, not at all like a dog boy that you would run into. Uh, normally serving the Coalition. So be aware that those things are out there. Evan Cole was using them as some of his shock troops.
0: Uh, Evan Cole, that's a name that hasn't come up yet. Could you expound on that, please?
1: He was... I'm surprised that your team didn't tell you about him, but he's the head of the facility there.
0: Uh, Sadly, the... The the intel that you provided them before you went unconscious, they felt was actionable. And so they literally brought you to this facility for healing, kind of gave us a short intro, uh, like debrief and then pressed with the information you provided them. So.
1: Well, good. I hope I hope they're cleaning out Crockett's Bluff as we speak. But Evan Cole is, is kind of in charge of that facility. And I'm no fan of his
0: sounds like it uh is he one of these rogue sorcerers that uh you were referring to
1: yes yes and that is a betrayal of the coalition far more impactful than when you turned your coat
0: fair um how deep into the leadership in Fort El Dorado do you feel that this may be going?
1: I intend to bring up the matter with some intelligence groups that I'm familiar with. I have no doubt that this will be rooted out.
0: Um, well, that's good to know. And again, if you need any assistance from the Tomorrow Legion, we. <laughs> we can provide it within a certain um, a certain level, right? I mean, we're not going to support assassinations or any of that kind of thing.
1: Listen, I, I appreciate the offer. I really do. But this is an internal matter for the Coalition. That's how I see it. We need to deal with it as, 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 as much as we can. The situation in Crockett's Bluff was unique. But now that I have the information, I think we can strike back at the, the head of the snake.
0: Well, I mean, in the situation in Crockett's Bluff, the situation in Garnet Town, both of those seem unique, but they also seem to be, like, one of my ability... I, I do have some precognitive abilities, some others, and people are, like myself and others, are starting to see some events, some things starting to uh, merge together. Um, like, we even... There was even some interruptions within my own broadcast uh, earlier in, you know, from many uh, earlier in the year, um, that actually seemed like demonic speak crossover uh, due to rift issues. But when it was translated, that something was said about blood pits, and it did mention Garnet Town. Do you has has the do you have any intelligence on anything like that?
1: I. I don't, but I'm intrigued by the idea that the see the, 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 the situation at Garnetown was manufactured by the Federation of Magic. And I'm intrigued by the idea that this may be connected to Crockett's Bluff. If you are seeing links between these events, if you're seeing the Federation moving behind the scenes in this region, I would find that information extremely valuable.
0: Uh, agreed, and and as much as this situation is developing, as we provide and or as things develop, you know, I uh, understand your position on this being an internal CS matter. But how how would you like to move forward if we have information that could be usable for you in some of these matters? And You sponsor.
1: and I should stay in touch. Okay. we should probably exchange some sort of com code to ensure that we can speak on these matters uh, in the future okay well uh, you seem to be a man of you seem to be a man of honor and I, I can appreciate that
0: well thank you many people in your position do not view me as an honorable person because of my choices uh, sadly well sadly unfortunately I, I was exposed to some other truths of uh, the Coalition, and I'm not going to taint your view um, of your world with what I experienced. Unfortunately, that's something you're going to have
1: to learn for yourself.
0: But I am more than willing to... Please say.
1: The fact of the matter, Beacon, is that this area is unsettled. There's... The Pecos Empire, not that far to the west. There's Federation of Magic to the east. There's uh, even been some uh, sightings of Zetisiks and uh, the uh, First Apocalyptic Cavalry. The fact of the matter is these people are squeezed in between some of the most important and powerful organizations in North America.
0: I don't disagree. People
1: like us... People like us are one of the few things standing in the way of uh, humanity being wiped out in this area. So, what I can do to assist it, to keep them, keep those little towns and settlements from being swallowed up, or turned into demon worshippers, or worse, I'll do.
0: Okay. Well, the reality is there's many, and again, there's the reality is there's many DBs that are, you know, good people that just are looking to live their lives as well that are in the very same, you know, the same situation that the CS living in these areas. We're also getting some very weird reports starting to come from like the, the CS colonies and um, from the, um, uh, the, cat, the reserve uh, in, near Wichita that there's some weird stuff going on in the, the Great Plains that we're going to have to focus on as well.
1: I'm scheduled to lead a, well, there's a patrol or two in that region that I may be joining, so I'll look into it.
0: Okay. Um, well, would you, so, if I were to provide you with, say, some, ti- some timing of please avoid this area at this time, just so, say, any Tomorrow Legion teams in the area and any teams you're leading do not end up accidentally crossing swords?
1: If possible, I'll coordinate with you.
0: Thank you, the Tomorrow Legion. Now, I'll have to clear that with General Magruder himself because that's kind of me given the enemy intelligence, but ultimately, if it gets us all working towards the same outcome, you know, at least in parallel, that would probably be best.
1: Listen, after Garnetown and Crockett's Bluff, and speaking with you, it's fair to say I've got a pretty positive impression of the Tomorrow Legion. And as long as that's true, I'll be willing to stick my neck out a little bit. But if that should change, if if one of your groups starts to gun down dead boys like it's going out of style, then my assistance is going to come to an end.
0: I I can I can appreciate that. Um, just so you're aware, if you are ever in need of assistance, please come to the uh, the Titan Ranch Inn and actually ask the uh, proprietor for. Just ask him for my name. Okay. And uh, I'm unf- taking that note. Um, I will when we uh, when we discharge you. Um, now, it's probably going to be a teleportations to so the facility you're currently in will maintain its anonymity um, because it it's not in coalition territory but it's close enough that it could uh, again raise some eyebrows that we have a facility this close Um, and so I would like to maintain the uh, anonymity of that as best we can
1: I I don't like it I don't agree with it but I accept it.
0: (laughs) I was going to say the other option is we could just knock you out and dump you somewhere. Would you prefer that? No. Okay then. So, all right. Well, um, you still have a couple, you still probably have a little bit more time on the mend before we can officially release you. Can I get you anything? Um, would you like a book? Would you like any reading material? Um,
1: what exactly are you trying to do to me right now, Beacon?
0: <laughs> you're a ranger. Come on, man. I've I've served with CS Rangers, and some of you are, have been uh, educated, so you can at least gather intel on the frontier.
1: I don't need any books, but thank you for the offer. Okay. Uh, well, if I just new, want to get back on patrol as soon as I can.
0: I understand. Getting the job done is uh, is always. Uh, number one in most people's world so but uh if you'll excuse me i it'll probably be an hour a uh, couple hours before i get back to you so i'll i'll gather the communication information uh any of the in, uh, information that general magruder allows me to exchange and then i will let you know what the coordination is for uh your uh release so you are, appreciated you are, and you are clear like this area that you are in you are not confined to this room you are confined to this level um so if you need to get up and move around um for your comfort only humans are here on this level so just uh you know i, I like you said you're willing to work with people but the legion thought it was best to just have you know give you uh people that you would be comfortable with for your stay here so
1: well, that makes sense. As long as this leg is uh, bound up, I suppose I my mobility is limited anyway.
0: Cool. Yeah, any food? Anything you need?
1: Uh, some food would be good. Okay. I haven't had chow in at least 24 hours.
0: Okay. I'll get with the nurse and have her bring in some food for you as well. So, uh, Is there anything else before I leave that you would like to share or like to ask before I step out?
1: You know, Beacon, you keep talking about how I can always come to the Legion, and how the Legion will always be there for me. I want to point out, the CS military has not forgotten you. And if you ever decide that you made a mistake, or that you feel like the stakes are too high, contact me, and I'll see if I can find you a place in my billet.
0: I appreciate it. Um, Somebody, there was an old game that one of my family members shared with me called "shoots and Ladders, right? Uh, are you familiar with this game? I'm not. Uh, it was Pre,
1: Pre-Cataclysm is not my specialty.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about it, but my family, basically as a kid, you have a person and you roll colors and you have to climb up ladders, but sometimes you hit shoots and slide down to the bottom. Well, life is kind of like that, right? You make choices, you climb up ladders, and sometimes you get on and you just hit something, a shoot, and you got to ride it to the end. And so I appreciate it, and uh, your uh, gesture is acknowledged. So thank you. I appreciate the conversation, sir. So a good handshake, and uh, I will be on my way. Uh, nurse, could you see about getting uh, the lieutenant? lieutenant some food for dinner please um and uh go ahead uh let them know that i'll need the elevator uh here at about five so thank you thank you lieutenant and you all right hello savage rifters hey this is beacon it's sean um that pretty short episode here. Uh, so this episode, I'd like to actually thank Ross Watson for voicing Lieutenant James Behan from the Garnet Town Gambit. And uh, so Ross worked with Sean Patrick Fannin on the initial Savage Risk release, and has been working on develop uh, with the development team for uh, Land of a Thousand Islands and Terrors on a Dark Frontier. And Ross agreed to kind of hang out and answer some more questions. So hey, Ross, welcome to the Voice of Hope.
1: Thanks for having me today, man. I really appreciated it. This is a this is a cool thing, and I got to tell you, I love playing Behan. He's he's such a great character to be to inhabit, uh, and and I just when we were we we were doing the the thing earlier, I was just grinning ear to ear. <laughs> So big fan. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, actually. And it's, I, I definitely want to talk about Garnet town gambit. That's one of the uh, kind of the premier uh, adventures. Now I've got a little bit of a different take. It's not a, not saying anything's wrong, but uh, actually I think you would appreciate how some of the things I've tweaked. Cause right now my own group uh, recently completed part of the Garnet town gambit. And uh, so I personally, I made a couple changes for my table, um, which I'll I look forward to sharing with you. But um, so you agreed to answer a couple questions. Doc. I'm going to kind of geek out a little bit so uh, 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 information wise actually you and I are basically both the same age from what it looks like we're both born in 75 is that correct so that's right but as a gamer i'm gonna say i've been you're literally every major gaming system i've played in the last like 15 years your name is actually in the actual book so <laughs> i hate to, you know so yeah i'm gonna get a little squee like fangirly probably during this thing and i'm not gonna apologize for it so so thank you for being on
1: Oh, of course, of course. Uh, Riffs is near and dear to my heart. It's a it's a big part of my gaming history. Nice. Well, I started playing it. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, go ahead. Like, who are you, and how'd you get into Riffs?
1: <laughs> okay, who am I? I'm Ross Watson. Uh, I've worked on a bunch of uh, role playing game uh stuff in the last 20 years uh you probably know me best from uh dark heresy rogue trader uh death watch you probably know me from uh, star wars edge of the empire uh and torg eternity uh that's kind of my my highlight reel oh and a whole bunch of uh savage worlds products
0: definitely Okay, but so we'll get to some of those questions a little bit later. That way, people who are not interested in anything other than Savage Worlds can just press stop. Um, but so you kind of started talking riffs, like riffs wasn't always savage. What does riffs mean to you, and when'd you start
1: with it? So, yeah, uh, early 90s. Um, palladium books were all over my high school. This is Hot uh, Springs, Arkansas, is when I was going to high school and we played ninjas and super spies, we played TMNT, we played a ton of Robotech, and then Riffs hit us like a freight train because there is nothing cooler to my inner 12-year-old than the idea of a cyborg ninja who's also a dragon. And Riffs was like the game you could do that in. And it just like every book had uh, a lot of the early books, I like to think, are, are just bangers. Like they have amazing world building and stuff in them. Uh, you know, the uh, Juicer Uprising, the South America books, Phase World, Underseas, Atlantis. This was just a fantastic book. And they all just blew my mind. Just you know uh so we played um we played a ton of riffs. uh we used the coalition war campaign we used lone star we used um, a little bit of mindworks i think uh triax in the ngr those we, we 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 liked i liked and my friends and at the time we liked anything with like robots and power armor and you know just all kinds of cool cool military gear and uh riffs has that in spades
0: um yeah you and i cut from i know go ahead Uh, i said yeah cut from the same cloth almost identical
1: (laughs) um yeah so i i i've even written like a blog post i think of about my top 10 yeah, 1990, look at that. <laughs> so I, I think I've even read a blog post about my top ten uh, Riffs books. If people are really interested, they can find that. Uh, well, but yeah.
0: what would you say your favorite Riffs book is? If you just had to go with one right now, I'll put you on the spot. What's your favorite Riffs book?
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, I mean, if it's not South America 1 and 2... Because I love that's two books. If it's not those, I'm going to say Mercenaries. Mercenaries Mm -hmm. is fantastic. It's got uh, an organizational generator, a character sheet for your own mercenary organization, which is really neat. Uh, Tons of new classes, player options, guns, gear, power armor, vehicles. Um, And it's got uh, just a really interesting way to play riffs. Like, the core book of riffs, unfortunately, doesn't really have a. Like a core activity, it's it's the GM kind of has to decide, or the group has to decide who they are, what they're doing, and why. But Mercenaries was the first book that said, "Hey, here's a pre-made paradigm for you to game in rifts. You are a mercenary company, and you're doing you know stuff for pay, and you're shooting people in the face for money. It's great." Introduce the Niruni. Um, there's that. Uh, it, it leads into even even more really good books like Merctown. Mm, yeah uh so yeah i'm gonna say mercenaries if i have to pick just one book
0: awesome yeah i definitely love mercenaries i probably if uh the one book i probably loved the most was probably juicer uprising for me and it wasn't even just because of all the juicers it was all of the like the diving down into kingsdale and and uh, uh eldorado and actually providing a campaign that you could actually sink your teeth into
1: now hell yeah
0: yeah so now question number two so from what i understand about you as a game designer now like you you started talking some game design stuff and i, I really want to deep dive into that here in a minute but from what i understand of you as a game designer you're really a big lore guy like from the 40k stuff it sounds like that that's your like you know that world and so how important is the lore of rifts for getting people into it and then with what you've been doing both with the initial development and now with follow-on development, how important is distilling that 30 years of lore into a digestible way for new people that haven't probably even really experienced Rifts like you and I did organically?
1: Uh, Big question. (laughs) I'll try to answer as best I can. Um, The lore of Rifts is some of, I mean, that's that's honestly one of the best parts. There's just so much cool stuff. Dog Boys and Aaron Tarn and the Cyber Knights and uh, Scyscape and Stormspire and just like all these great places to go visit, all these great people to meet, all these really interesting monsters to fight. Um, what's, so interesting, you should ask me this question. Um, one of the things I did for the original initial savage riffs books was the game master's guide i wrote that big section of like here's the world of riffs
0: that's a great Like i wrote that great book
1: thank you (laughs) and i did that i did that thing you were saying like distilling it down into like i tried to make it as as approachable as i could and uh bring it up to the 109 pa setting which uh, i had to go through um the *Siege* Tolkien books very carefully to make sure I had everything up to date <laughs> as possible, um, and that's what uh, is great about what I've been doing lately with um, *Terror on the Dark Frontier* and *Land of Thousand Islands*. Is taking um, places in the New West and places in South America and saying, "Hey, what happened?" You know, between their publication date, which I think is 102. Or 103 and advancing it up to 109. Um, and we had some pretty fun ideas. I think, uh, one of my favorites, um, I don't know if people know this about South America, but there's a, a mutant animal enclave down there <laughs> and they have, they have these guys that are, uh, mutant capybaras who can control time, <laughs> yep. which is freaking wild. So I was like, well, what if, uh, what if the archons like got in touch with those guys and said, "Hey, can you can you like send a message back in time so that we don't like screw up this whole invasion?" Yeah. <laughs> and the capybaras were like, "Well, let's see if we, you know, listen, we can do," and they just vanished and never returned. Nice. <laughs> and I was like, "I think that's a very riffs thing is like we're going to try this and it it doesn't work and it doesn't work in a way that leaves everybody scratching their heads." You yeah. know? <laughs>
0: i'm glad you mentioned the archon actually in the south america books they are literally one of my favorite things when they were introduced Is like like straight up like like you said robotech was actually kind of my introduction and the whole alien invasion thing it's like okay but then literally it's like oh they're coming from other dimensions they're the the mechanoids and it's like no these guys are actually like aliens from rift's earth that invaded (laughs)
1: I wrote the Archon section for Land of a Thousand Islands, so I think you should really I think you oh, yeah. get a kick out of it.
0: Oh yeah, like I am maybe not in the current campaign I'm in, but future I'm just gonna litter like Archon starships around the globe because you know, I mean, like that's orbital reentry, all that kind of stuff. That that's kinda of how it would play out, I would think.
1: So Yeah, well they're yeah, their invasion uh got Fubart pretty good, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. All
0: right, so um uh, let me uh, so like of course you worked with SPF on the initial development so was there anything during the initial development I mean really probably the like holy crap Kevin Sambita is actually letting us develop riffs for another system <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that stu- <laughs> that probably stood out and probably was a while you're probably just working and me like really we're doing this I guess we're doing it um, but anything else other than that that really stood out during the initial development that's still kind of like is is on your forefront today?
1: So there were, um, five main design goals. Uh, Fannin and I talked about these and agreed that these were like important. And the five goals were, uh, we wanted to stay true to the setting. Number one, we wanted to preserve, that feel of original riffs. If something was powerful in riffs, it should be powerful in Savage riffs. If it was, you know, the name should say the same stuff like that. It just we wanted to make it feel riffs. That's the number one. Uh, number two was this thing I talked about just a little bit ago—the core activity. Because um, I think this is something that I always struggled with when I was playing riffs: is like, who are we? What are we doing? And why? Right. Um, so we talked to Kevin and uh, Fannin Fannin's idea and my idea was uh, this this tomorrow Legion thing um, I was the one that came up with Castle Refuge and placed it where it is uh, but Fannin is the one who wrote all the, the the people and the ethos and all that stuff uh, and the the tomorrow Legion is is what I feel like a, an important tool for riffs game master to be able to say okay here's what here's who you are here's what you're doing here's why and here's a mission go do it Right, like, it just cuts down all the uh, the the pre-adventuring that you have to do. Uh, the third thing that we were really important, uh, those really important to us, was uh, dealing with mega damage, um, especially with how like weapons and armor interact. And uh, Fanon honestly came up with the best possible way to handle it. He just uh, there's already a thing in Savage Worlds called heavy, uh, heavy, heavy weapons and heavy armor, and he just applied that. Uh, mechanic to MDC weapons and MDC armor. Our our uh, our working rule of thumb was: if it feels like a tank, it should be mega damage. If it feels like it can kill a tank, it should do mega damage. And then everything else was swept aside, you know. From that, uh, the fourth thing was juicers. <laughs> and it always bugged me that the concept was you die in a few years, but it never had any mechanical impact. You would just play. You just play you know as i'm a juicer i'm just gonna be a juicer forever and uh that's when we had this really big meeting down in um arizona with a bunch of guys shane hensley uh, john wick um, some really talented uh gamers down there and out of that discussion where i was like we have to have some mechanic right um that's where burn came from and i love the way burn works I'm, i'm just so thrilled with the outcome of that um and then the very last the very last pillar um was to have a good intro adventure. Something that would introduce people to the setting. And that's where Garnetown Gambit comes from. So those are our those were our five pillars.
0: So it's it's funny that those were your five pillars because they also tie in sorry, uh, wrong button. Uh <laughs> I press the wrong button. Um it uh, it's funny that those are your five pillars but I uh those also are some of the things that really called out Savage Rifts for me. Like, juicers, same thing. Burn was an amazing mechanic. Like, oh, crap, they actually have to worry about uh, dying. Now, I think some of the tweaks um, have worked out pretty well. Actually, it's funny, when uh, Savage Rifts came out, I was at uh, uh, PAX Unplugged, and John Wick was there. I actually, like, rode an elevator with him, and I'm like, hey, thanks for the juicer mechanic, man. That That's awesome. And he kind of, like oh, well, yeah, hey, cool, if you want to come by the booth, we can talk about it some more, and it's like, so that was awesome. Um, you know, I thought, like, Glitter Boys, because of the way you guys looked at damage and all that kind of stuff, feel like Glitter Boys, you know, it, like, everything, in my opinion, like, feels riffs and, like, my game group are all, like, old Grognard Rifts guys, and, and we all love it, so, um, but one of the things that you're talking about, actually, I thought that Tomorrow Legion was something that was was truly needed for uh for riffs. now uh kind of going in that so you talked about the tomorrow legion and you use some really interesting um design terminology in there about core activity now one of the things since its released, and of course you probably lurk on the boards and stuff like the tomorrow legion and castle refuge has become one of those weird lightning rods as well that there's a lot of people that like I, I see in, like, Discord servers where guys are like, I hate the Tomorrow Legion so much that I actually start a Savage Rifts game, and the first thing I do is drop a meteor on it in front of the players just to say, this thing doesn't exist in my world. So... <laughs> like, so, so if you could uh, kind of just dive into like some of the stuff you guys talked about for the Tomorrow Legion Castle Refuge, maybe some of how it ties into the other good guys, and then maybe talk a little bit about your opinions on those, some of that controversy.
1: Well, uh, it's impossible to please everyone. I mean, that's number one. We and and we knew this. Like, we literally knew that by by putting this, uh, this this group, this this tool, this paradigm into Savage Drifts, that we were going to have a lot of older Savage play, older Rifts players, I should say, uh, who were like, eh, no thanks," right? Because they'd had thirty years to come up with their own ways. Of engaging with the setting and getting their players motivated to do things. There's guys that run uh, coalition campaigns. I've I've played in one of those. There's guys who run mercenary campaigns. There's guys who do the new navy. There's guys who do you know trix in the NGR. That's perfectly fine. That's all. It it's fine. This is just like one more thing, one more way to get people into. The setting, and like I said, I, in my opinion, it was just a tool that I was handing to a GM to say it, it it speeds things up. To say you're all members of the Tomorrow Legion, which means you all know what you're doing and why, and here's a mission. Like it just it just made it faster and and uh, cut down on pre adventuring time. So, yeah, I, I knew it was going to be maybe not the most well liked edition, <laughs> but we we pitched it to Kevin, and Kevin thought it was a great idea. So. Hey, here it is. I, I did my best. Well, Fanon and I both did our best to make it feel like it is organic to rifts. Like it's the, the, it's it's an outgrowth of the Tolkien uh, war uh, refugees coming down south. It's a, a, an evolution of the um, pressure people are feeling in the region between CS Dorado and Pecos Empire and Federation of Magic. I was just like, this is a perfect place to put something to get people and get, I was the one who chose the area because I was like, this is where all the everything's happening. It's all happening right here, you know. I yeah, mean, absolutely. we could have gone out to the East Coast to Shamarian Nation and all that, but I was like, no, 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 no. I, want the coalition and I want the federation and I want the the you know everything else like right there because that's that's where North America rifts, in my opinion, lives is between those conflicts and those groups.
0: Agreed. And it's it's one of those things that like, yeah, it's right there. Oh, it would get crunched. Well, yeah, it would, but Kingsdale's still there. Like, Murktown's still there. CS hasn't... The yeah Yeah. All those places are still there. Um, so, I personally, I I mean, heck, I have a podcast where I actually play a member of being the Tomorrow Legion regularly, so, you know, <laughs> hey, this, I might like it just a little bit. Um, but for for me, like, a lot of the stuff, like Minion War and all that kind of stuff, they always refer to gatherings of heroes. And that's really what the Tomorrow Legion in my realm is, is just another gathering of heroes that now we've organized it a little bit more. I do like the tie-ins you guys put of to, uh, to uh, Laszlo and New Laszlo as well, though.
1: Yeah, we had Lord Coke and Aaron Tarn help set it up to make it feel... I, I want to be really clear, like, if any of your listeners are out there like, I just don't like the Tomorrow Legion, dude! I am all... you know, go go crazy! You're not going to offend me if you don't want to use the Tomorrow Legion. It's, it's fine. Like... <laughs> I don't. I don't hold it like a sacred in my heart or anything. It's something I thought was fun to do, and we did it. But you know, if people don't want to use it, that's fine too. But it's there, and I like. I like what you pointed out because this was part of the reason where I place those. Like, if if Wyken, which is like half CS already, if Wyken can survive independently, if Kingsdale and Murkdown can survive independently, then why couldn't one other place, who's friendly to all of those independent places? exist yeah, exactly. and uh i found this article i found this article about this guy who was building a castle an actual castle <laughs> in arkansas this is real like you could go look this up and i was like that's castle refuge it's it's when the riffs happened this guy and his family like they left the area or whatever but the castle's still there and Fannon was like yeah and, and, the, and a dwarf like came and helped build it up more and like he was all about it so you know it was an idea that took off
0: that's awesome. Yeah, I, I I've had SPF on the show a couple times, and yeah, it's it's one of those things. He really loves the concept and tying it to Shine Tar. Uh, funny, like the facility that you and that, that uh, we just role played in. So I don't. You said you kind of grew up in Arkansas. Are you familiar with the uh, ICBM background, like that exists in uh, in Arkansas?
1: I'm not actually. That's that's I did not know that. <laughs> so
0: I, I told you look. At, uh, so the character gave the character the Titan Ranch Inn. Well, so Titan Ranch is actually a converted uh, Titan II missile silo that's in Central oh. Arkansas. That so they act. So basically, like for the storyline we just did, is the Tomorrow Legion now controls that former ICBM silo. There's an inn on top of it, but they have. 100 feet of bunker underneath it, so.
1: Oh, that's neat. I, I did not know about that. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah.
0: Look, look up the Titan Ranch. It's pretty cool, but there's there's about uh, 15 old launch, uh, about 10 old launch facilities out in that area, so.
1: Sweet. Uh, of yeah. course, by the time Rist around, those would all be inert, but yeah. <laughs> well, I, actually,
0: it's uh, so some of my own. Uh, sorry, now I'm geeking now, so I apologize. But, uh, like, because that's some of my background um, for my storylines, basically, NEMA, when it came in, it basically looking for underground facilities basically go oh these things still exist let's refurbish them and use them so
1: Oh oh yeah the the so yeah them and the republicans would both be very interested in that yeah
0: Right yeah so you know so that, that that's in my you know, Sean's Savage Rifts, I I add those kind of things in. So
1: no, that's really cool, man. Thanks. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Well,
0: another perfect example. Like you're working on Terrors when I had Roberson on here, we were talking, and there's actually <laughs> a uh, there's actually a a survivor community just south of Concordia. I'm from Kansas originally, and so there's a survivor community south of Concordia, Kansas that actually is literally like an underground condominium skyscraper where they actually took an icbm silo that's like 150 foot deep and converted it into into luxury condos
1: wild so
0: so that's in my riffs as well out there somewhere so if i if i when i play through terrors on the dark frontier that'll be out there somewhere so
1: this is something john wick brings up all the time truth is stranger than fiction
0: it really is. Like, <laughs> uh, weird, weird fact, and I don't know if you're into history or any of that kind of stuff. Look up a book called Raven Rock. It talks about the, uh, the U.S.'s attempt to uh, survive the nuclear war. And from what that says, the United States is the most subterranean mapped country on the planet. Huh. And so, Wild. Yeah. So there's all sorts of underground sh- stuff all over the country. So... Crazy. But hey, I digress. I apologize. So the other, you know, and so the like how we started. So Garnet Town Gambit is a great scenario, and I'm, I'll I'll first off say it's great, and I actually love it. So, um, it's got some really pretty intense social encounters, some combat interactions, um, and so like even SPF talked about some uh, some interactions where literally like people were kind of sniffling in the interactions with behen at the end of it. So, what were some of the design goals with the scenario, and like your motivations for creating like Behan and some of the other characters?
1: Uh, well, First of all, thank you for the kind words. Um, Garnet Town Gambit, uh, I never really think of myself as an adventure writer, <laughs> which is weird. Um, but Garnet Town is one of those places where I, I feel really proud of it. Like I think it really came together at the end of the day. Um, my goal with Garnet Town was to serve as an introduction to essentially North America rifts. Um, so I wanted to, A, have one of the small settlements that you can run into in the region, uh, B, show that there are these big factions who are looking to move in the area, specifically the, uh, the Coalition and the Federation of Magic, uh, the black market gets a pretty solid mention. Uh, in there as well, to help establish that that is also a thing in this area. Um, and I uh, I knew that I had to have, I had to show people why rifts are dangerous. Why rifts are a big deal, and why people, why this setting is called rifts, right? So the uh, the final scenario, or the final uh, battle uh, takes place at a nexus point with an open rift, and it brings in a greater demon. Um, so I, I those were those were the things I was thinking about when I was writing is I wanted people to see what North America is like in refs. So behan and, uh, the, uh, Federation magic guy. I can't remember his name, Simon, I think, Simon. The um, so those two guys are meant to be a, a view into the reality of those factions. Uh, I could have gone with your standard, Non-human hating, basically Nazi, right? Uh, for Behan, but I didn't. I wanted. I wanted to because sh- because uh, uh, talks about this all the time that there's tons of people in the coalition who are not bigots. They just want to protect humanity. And I was like, well, what if I had one of those guys? Uh, and then Simon is, uh, you know, I think the deceptive nature of the Federation of magic because it looks. From the outside looking in, you're like, wow, you can do whatever you want. It's total freedom. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> and freedom is bad when it allows people to do, you know, necromancy or summon demons or do whatever Alist- Alistair Dunskin does down in the city of Brass. Um, so, yeah, those were the goals. And I think, you know, uh, fortunately for me, I think uh, I got lightning in a bottle and they all they all came together
0: yeah actually i think it's uh, it's kind of funny i have some uh, little thing i'll share with you here in a second from my game but uh uh can you still hear me yes okay uh yeah so personal uh my personal like i actually use garnet town gambit as like the uh the going from novice to uh seasoned kind of like a little capstone adventure uh being the riffs geek that i do i i usually throw in like the nozel like a convert adventure so you can see the you can see the, the the space nazis and then i do the hey let's see the bad you know bad summoners and then we go into garnet town gambit and it really throws the players of wait we've got a coalition guy that's working with the dbs what
1: <laughs> that's okay. a great way to put it in there yeah yeah
0: actually it, it, so and there's been a lot of like play t- uh like some actual plays and stuff done garnet town it, it's funny i don't know how many i've listened to where literally like the first session they shoot be just because nazi
1: right <laughs> well yeah i mean that's that's a that's a danger you yeah.
0: know well uh, so uh, i'll i'll share uh, how i i broke my group of that so the 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 if I can geek out with you I apologize but uh, the uh, the little kid that you introduced in the beginning of the adventure Vaughn. Vaughn yeah. yeah and so you know in the initial adventure he runs out and the broad killer chasing him I tweaked that just a little bit and and Vaughn like so at the end of uh, uh, the end of our session Vaughn runs out in front of their vehicle and it's like oh and then I'm like a CS trooper comes sprinting out across the road in front of you l- behind him and but and it's like they're everybody's like initiative let go and i'm like okay i give everybody initiative and i'm paused and i'm like okay you guys watch the the cs trooper plant in the middle of a road spin around laying down fire back the way they come and railgun bursts come out of the woods and and cut him like drop him and end session <laughs> Oh nice. <laughs> and so suddenly they're like, What the heck? and so like in the beginning of the next session they start rolling in and you know, we jump straight into combat and they're like, Well, what are we gonna do with this guy? And then the broad kills start coming out and they go to like basically put two into the C S dude and Vaughn comes running out of the brush, jumping on top of him and go, No, stay away like he's actually protecting the coalition guy.
1: <laughs> nice. That's yeah. that's an interesting twist. I like that.
0: So that was kind of fun. Sorry, I, um, I apologize. You probably have things to do, but uh, I, I will geek with you here for a sec. Let me show you the screen. I have created Garnet Town in three D. So,
1: what? How awesome is that? Yep. Oh wow! So this fascinating. is fascinating people but i can see this beautiful layout he's done of the town and it's really really nice it's got the river it's got the farmlands it's got the buildings Ah, i'm i'm a fan uh well done man
0: yeah this is the i i run in uh tailspire it's a 3d uh 3d uh vtt so but nice cool
1: i'll turn that off that is impressive
0: i appreciate it. it took me about a week to put that all together so I got some other uh, Garnet Town things, but it, like it just Garnet Town itself is such a great adventure that it actually is flexible enough that you can do that. Like for my uh, my campaign, I'm actually merging uh, the final solution plot point campaign um, with Garnet Town, so I'm actually morphing some of that stuff together.
1: You can probably tell that um, those were written about the same time because uh, behan does show up in uh one of the final solution adventures and that's because Sean and I had already like he he'd walked through the adventure with me about that point he was like oh I could use this guy you know what I'm doing nice. um yeah we, we wrote a, almost all the one sheets all at the same it was all like one big weekend of writing one sheets <laughs> and uh uh Fanny did all the, the final solution and all those guys I did a uh, garnet town and um uh God, I can't. Remember. Like, there's one about um, a menagerie, I think. Oh, the blood, blood Menagerie.
0: Blood Menagerie, yeah.
1: That's a pretty good one. Yeah, cool and a few others. Nice.
0: Well, um, so, sorry, geeking out on you, so I apologize, but I warned you in the beginning.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> It's uh, fine, bro.
0: But, like, as you said, though, one of your big things, like, you, you work a lot with Savage Worlds as well, and we'll get into some of your uh, Savage Worlds products here shortly. Um, however, one of the things, at least I've noticed, is, like, you've kind of got the Savage Rifts community, and then there's uh, some, like there's a, a vein of the Savage Worlds community that feels that Rifts kind of takes the system to, like, a extreme power level. and But now we just came out with uh, necessar- The Ultimate Necessary Evil... Uh, or the, the going into uh, the cosmic stuff, but then we've also got like your Narts, Knight's Arcanum uh, settings. So, how do you, uh, like as a designer, uh, how do you talk uh, recommend people in navigating the whole spectrum of power levels within Savage Worlds and how would you integrate it into Savage
1: Rifts? Uh, so I, I mean, this is to sound weird, but um. You know, I, I grew up with with Rifts, and and Rifts is crazy powerful compared to D and D, or compared to uh, almost any other D, uh, RPG of its time. It was Rifts was the game you played to feel powerful, right? To feel awesome, and I I didn't care if we, you know, <laughs> as long as it felt like Rifts, I was I was more or less okay with it. And the fact of the matter is is that uh, Savage Worlds can handle power levels that it it goes from uh, a very wide spectrum. Okay. Like I've, I've written rules for Fafford and the gray Mouser, which is very, you know, low magic, sword and sorcery type stuff. I've, I've worked on stuff for uh, weird war one and Accursed and things like that, which are more in the middle. Um, But you've actually seen like uh, people embrace the, Tone and the power level that they're comfortable with, they'll play. They'll gravitate naturally towards whatever they feel like is the best fit. Um, like uh, the new horror companion for Savage Worlds just came out recently, and it's got slightly more powerful monster characters because they're monsters. Um, you know, and Savage Savage Worlds has always been that game where if you show up with a sci-fi character in Deadlands, you're going to be you're going to be a little stronger. It's just the way it is. I don't know. I I guess personally, I I don't see too much of an issue with having a really powerful option. If that's what you want to play. Um, It's, it's very easy to say, Hey, I'm doing a Savage Worlds game. No risk characters. (laughs) 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 I know. I just, I don't know. I, I I guess I I don't see it as, as that big of an issue. I know people out there feel this way. I do. I absolutely am aware of it, Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel like that's something that I really worry about. So I don't cool. know what to tell you there.
0: You didn't break Savage World, so I'll just tell you that. For me. <laughs> uh, you didn't break Savage World, so I'll just tell you that right there. So. <laughs> thank you yeah <laughs> um so but uh speaking of developments and focus on savage Rift, right so we just recently got the uh south america and the terrors on the dark frontier uh sets uh, so you contributed to both of them so um so like what'd you work on in uh rift south america for example and do you've you've really like it sounds like you felt that you really captured the feeling of the original two books
1: well, like I said, those are literally my favorite books for us. I freaking adore those two books. Um, so I was really happy to work on it. I worked on uh, Maga Island. I worked on Manoa. I worked on uh, the Archons. I worked on, um, I want to say Omagua. Uh, yeah, I think Omagua. Um, those were the main areas that I focused on. Oh, and uh, Bahia. and no, not, No, not Bahia. Sorry. Gosh. It's it's a big region. I'm sorry. Right. Um, But those are those are like the highlights. If uh, I think I worked on a few other uh, little things, but those are the those are the highlights. And uh, Manoa is, is super cool. It's one of my favorite locations in all of Rifts ever. Um, I love the Archons. I love uh, South America General. We so we, we got together like all the writers, we were like a little team and we would exchange ideas. Like I was like, "Hey, what about this capybara thing?" and the guy who was doing the, the mutant the mutant animal thing. is like, "Oh, that's a really cool idea." And we talked to um, the guy who was doing the anti-monsters in Colombia. And I was like, "You know, it'd be neat is if they, you know, took on sort of a, like a luchador Type thing. He's like, oh yeah, that would be cool if they had like a name and they paint their armor with their like identity. So yeah, anti monsters have evolved to be you know the heroes of Colombia, which uh, uh, lucha is a very uh, heroic uh, pastime. It's a very heroic history in uh, that area, you know, between Mexico and and, and South America. That's so cool. yeah, uh, we we came up with some really neat stuff, and I just. Uh, the team that worked on that book is all very dedicated, very talented writers. Um, and I was very honored to be one of them. So
0: that's awesome. Yeah, actually uh, I'm going to have Aaron on uh, probably next. So that'll be the next interview I do, but all right, I got to put you on the spot though. You only get to say one thing, your one favoriteest thing in South America. What would it be?
1: <sighs> uh, I did a savage tale. Um, that is about a amazon of manoa wanting to marry a sea titan of the new navy and how the player characters get caught up in trying to keep all the other evil factions from wanting this not to happen so you have to basically be bodyguards of a wedding and the bride has cold feet and there's issues with the ring and like it's it's not just you know bad guys want to stop this but definitely bad guys want to stop this cuz holy shit can you imagine their kids
0: wow yeah <laughs> That's awesome. It's like, wait, that's literally the worst bridezilla you could probably think of. (laughs) Nice. Ah, ah. Awesome. Well, so we're, I mean, and that's, I mean, again, it's gaming, but that seems fairly lighthearted. Now, on the flip side, you're talking Mm. about terror on a dark frontier and wow like just reading through that initially is like woo! Well, kansas is messed up well kansas is messed up i just i love my area but but so one of the things they brought in was the deadlands fear level how do you feel like bringing that into rifts do you like how does that like how did you feel about that and then how how as a game master do you really kind of ratchet up that tension and work at bringing horror to the table
1: uh, so, first of all, I do think there is um, there is a mechanic in rifts for fear. Um, and I believe uh, there's even some regions that have... So, it wasn't like we came up with this out of nowhere. But it is very similar to Deadlands' fear levels. Um, so, there's that, yeah. And, and obviously, being part of the New West, I mean, that's where you would draw that just connection, right? Like, oh, yeah, of course. Um, but it, I do believe there's some actual grounding in, in Riff's lore for this kind of thing.
0: Yeah, horror factor, And,
1: uh, yeah. It, well, Alien Intelligences uh, and Vampires Zone in Mexico, all that stuff, you know, Riffs has always had a maybe somewhat pulpy horror side to it, but it has a horror side to it. Um, even Archie's guys are replacing humans with robots is, on a certain level, horrific. Um, as far as how do you bring horror into your game, that's... That's a whole podcast worth of discussion, but uh, the short version is to, you know, prey upon the imaginations of your players because they're always going to imagine something more scary than you can describe. But if you give them like the basics, like you hear something moving in the basement of the asylum, and they'll be like, "Oh crap!" Like you know, they they will start to imagine what's down there. So it's it's a it's a lot about. Uh, you know, don't show the monster until you're absolutely ready for it. Nice. Uh, but Terror on the Dark Frontier, you know, we I think one of the f- most fun things about it is when we started talking about something that was a really amazing monster in the New West, but didn't have a lot else going on, which was the Worm Wraiths. Ooh, yeah. And we're like, these guys are cool. Like, what can we, you know, let's, let's ask Kevin if we can take these guys and give them like a, a mission like a a goal and they're trying to achieve it here and that would give us like our our theme of our you know pseudo lovecraftian bad guys who are all tentacles all the time you know <laughs> um and, and kevin kevin liked the idea so we we rolled with this idea that there's an alien intelligence directing the worm wraiths and trying to create this this uh place of horror and fear and it manifests in different ways in different places. Um, so, I mean, these these guys were, were serious. Like, when we had our initial conversations about terror, I was like, let me be really clear. I want to do, you know, is, is this a place where we can do our, our, our really dark ideas? And they were like, yeah, yeah, this, this is it.
0: <laughs> well, and considering your background in dark heresy and all that kind of
1: stuff, you're probably like, I can go dark. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like- well... Uh I'm sure you were gonna ask, but like what well, my favorite thing about uh terror is I created an adventure called The Can of Worms, which spoiler alert involves cannibalism and can in fact result in your party eating a friendly NPC that you met earlier on. So no. uh, Yeah, yeah. Oh. You can't see Sean's face right now, but he <laughs> is just recoiling. Oh. <laughs> Yuck, icky. And that's the face I want you to make when you're in the adventure, so that's Ooh, a success for me. Nice.
0: Well, you know, it's funny, we'll, like I said, we'll get to Dark Heresy, but hmm, there, there seem to remember an alien from Dark Heresy, the slot or something like that? It's yes, like, the Sloth, yeah. So the Sloth are invading Rift's Earth, that's, I'm, I'm running with that, print it, <laughs> that's, that's where <laughs> I'm going.
1: <laughs> oh, wow, yeah, I... That's a that's a good connection to make, I guess. Yeah, they're both very similar.
0: <laughs> yeah, so it's like, unfortunately, I've been I've been away from Dark Heresy for a while, so I've just been pr- pulling stuff out, and I'm like, wait, Wormrate? What? Whoa! <laughs> so, uh,
1: I can't claim credit for those guys. That was uh, creation of John French and Alan Bly, and those are some very very talented writers. Oh yeah, there's... the late great Alan Bly.
0: Yeah, there's some good stuff. Um, all right. So, uh, we kind of, uh, kind of toked into some other things. Is there anything else that you'd like to add pertaining to like Savage Rifts, past, present, future? Um, or, are uh, I mean, I've, I've been on your Patreon, so I kind of know, but are, are you working on anything in the future when it comes to Savage Rifts? Do you, would you like to?
1: So I do have, um, one idea that I would love to, to get into at some point. Um, I have this like thought about, uh, A Pecos Empire mega adventure that would talk about like a new emperor of the of the the groups and and like there's there's a lot of really interesting fascinating stuff in the Pecos Empire and I just would love to dive into that um, with an adventure, but I think that's probably the only thing I've left on the table. Um, uh, It's not impossible that I could come back and do some more work on Savage Drifts. Uh, but at the moment, I think I have reached—I uh, have reached the end of like my personal involvement. Like all the things I've wanted to do, I've—I've I've been able to do. So you may—you may not see me anymore for Savage Drifts, but I'm not going to say never because you never say never.
0: Oh yeah, well you got to work, right? (laughs) Yeah, but but at the same time, I mean that's awesome. Like the how many people get to say like how many people to could say like I've developed everything that I've ever wanted to develop for riffs. I mean, not not (laughs) many people can actually say that. So so kudos, man.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: And so that, though, and so for the listeners, I mean, so we're going to dive into a little bit of some of uh, Ross's stuff outside of Savage Rifts. So please continue to listen, but if you're just here for the Savage Rifts, uh, we're going to be stepping away. First, we're going to kind of transition to some of your other Savage uh, works. So right now you are the line developer for Star Anvil Studios, is that correct?
1: I'm actually the chief operating officer and partner of Starville Studios. Oh, well,
0: okay. uh, I'm sorry. I demoted. Yeah. Me, my bad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no biggie. No biggie. Actually, it's I started off doing a, a, a project with uh, Brandon, my partner, and we just decided we worked so well together, like we formed a partnership and now we, we are the two heads of that studio, um, which we um, have a book coming out uh this year called uh, the secret world rpg based on the secret world mmo and uh we've got uh some other settings in the works saints and sinners which is like a edge of the galaxy gritty sci-fi uh setting and we've got uh, knight's arcanum which is like uh fantasy superheroes through the lens of uh of he-man if you will <laughs>
0: Yeah, so yeah, definitely looked at the jump start. That was pretty amazing, um, and is like the He Man just come is just all over that. So pretty awesome, and and I, th- I even with the jump start, I think you nailed it. Um, Brandon's artwork is amazing. Like, does he is he the artist, or does he have the artists that do that?
1: He's the art director, so Brandon knows the guy. He, he knows how to talk to the artists like Ron Root and uh, any Ghosh. Who are some of our, our artists? He knows how to talk to those guys and get them to produce this really stellar quality art. That uh, I think that's what draws people more than anything else to our products is uh, those those really nice art pieces. So you know, all the I, kudos go to Brandon.
0: You know, the funny thing. This isn't a question, but like it, it's. I mean, you're in the, you're in the the this world, this development world, right? And art just seems to be one of those things. Like that is what makes or breaks products it's like it's what gets people in the door gets a- like movies it gets asses in the seats right is that is that right is that really how it kind of plays out
1: i have seen projects succeed solely on having really really excellent artwork um i have seen projects that have i would say i would say art is a, a thing that elevates a project it can take it to the next level um there are a few instances where art has damaged <laughs> the brand of a particular product, uh, but those tend to be rare. Like most of the time, uh, art is is something that uh, I like to say will 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 take you from a, a a five to a four, or a four to a three, or a three to a two. Like it, it'll take a really good project and make it better. But you're right. Um, there's there's a lot of things out there that have succeeded solely because they have really good art.
0: Yeah, and I mean it's funny because like I mean we're past the riff section, but that's literally one of the things that almost every person that was a Palladium riffs fan is like, literally the cover art of riffs is what got the book
1: in your hand to begin with. They, they were so lucky. They got Keith Parkinson, one of the top fantasy artists of that era to do not only the core book, but, but Atlantis as well. And that's freaking huge because when you go into a game store in the '90s, and you're looking at the the shelves, you're like, "Oh, that's a Parkinson. That's a real. You know, I want to see what this is about." And then, of course, you can't talk about it without talking about Kevin Long and uh, Wayne Bro. I've actually met Wayne; he's a great dude, uh, cool. great gamer. But but Kevin Long and Wayne Bro just their stuff also is perfect riffs. And then, of course, um, uh, that that uh, the guy who eventually with the comics comes along. What's his name? Um, uh, god he did their their comic book that they did for a while uh, oh crap
0: I don't remember his name but I know what you're talking I about. can't remember his name but he's such he's so good yeah.
1: like he's uh, the coalition uh, war campaign guy like he did he redesigned all the all the mechs, the dead boy armors and stuff yeah yeah they had they, so riffs is blessed with a multitude of great artists uh throughout especially throughout the early areas of right. uh, of its of its publication
0: but we're past riffs. So let's so kind of back to your country though. So uh, for your company. So <laughs> secret uh, the secret world you said, is that it?
1: What? The secret world, yeah.
0: So uh, from what I understand now, that's a is that a 5E product? Is that a
1: It is, but we're also going to do a Savage Worlds version of it later this year. So if, oh, you, if, nice. if you if you want to know more, uh, check out staranvilstudios.com. Okay. And
0: what's the uh, kind of what's the tenor of that setting?
1: The Secret World. Uh, it is a urban fantasy, uh, kind of a dark urban fantasy setting where uh, all the cryptids and conspiracy theories like really exist. There actually is a Bigfoot out there in the woods. There really is lizard men trying to rule the world, um, and it's it's got this uh, pretty deep lore. Um, it's it's based on an MMO that if people have played the MMO, they're really into it, um, and I don't. It's difficult for me to summarize the whole thing, but basically, there's a group of people that have been chosen by Gaia to become her immortal heroes, defending Earth from cosmic forces while secret societies scheme in the background. Hmm. And that's that's the, the 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 basics of the secret world.
0: Gotcha. That's cool. So kind of X y supernaturally kind
1: of. Yes yes very much that yes
0: awesome i'll have to check that out especially when it comes out for savage worlds so sweet i will look that up and so we kind of talked about let's dive at knights arcanum i mean he-man come on like like he-man with the numbers filed off like what where are you guys planning on going with that or the savage worlds only what's what's the what's the plan for that one
1: um, well, definitely initially, uh, Savage Worlds is the way we're designing it, but, um, Brandon is looking at branching out into some of the, uh, some other rule sets and stuff as well. So, uh, right now I don't know what else I can say about it rules wise, but it definitely will be, uh, Savage Worlds and maybe, uh, some other options as well. And yeah, I, I think, I think it's a great setting. It's a great concept. Uh, one of the things I've done as a game designer that excites me about it is I was able to create rules for mascots. If you want to have, like, a Snarf or an Orko, you absolutely can, and they have a mechanical benefit in your game if you interact with them and stuff. Uh, there's all those crazy vehicles from the, the He-Man side, and we're looking at, you know, just, just making it a setting where you can celebrate your love of 80s cartoons. That's and, awesome. And uh, it's, it's really neat.
0: Cool. Yeah, again, the, uh, that's out on Jumpstart, is that correct? That just recently came out on... Uh...
1: Yeah, yeah we're looking to publish that probably 2025.
0: Oh, okay. Gotcha. Uh,
1: well, 20, actually, let me rephrase. Yeah, probably 20. I think it's going to come out early 2025. It could possibly happen next year, but I, we're still working out some of our schedule. So to be announced,
0: (laughs) to be announced,
1: um, TBD. Yeah.
0: So weird question, uh, kind of segue or segue, but for you as a designer, like, like, is there strength in having a like a setting that is set up for multiple rule sets? Is that a good thing? Is that a challenging thing for a company? Like, what what have you seen over the years with something like that?
1: Well, uh, <laughs> I think what happened in January with Wizards of the Coast and the OGL was a wake up call to a lot of companies, and I definitely feel like it's a good idea to have not just one system that you're beholden to as a third-party publisher yeah um i love savage worlds fantastic great game uh shane hensley is like the gold standard of uh, uh company owners in the rpg industry dude is amazing he's a role model uh so savage worlds is something i'm very comfortable with i love to publish for savage worlds but that might mean that I'm missing out on 5e players, or it might miss, I mean I'm missing out on BRP players. Uh, there's always a gamble when you publish a setting for multiple, uh, multiple systems because, you know, your, your return might not be as high with a particular system as opposed to another one. But I feel like, especially after January of this year, it's a good idea not to put all your eggs in one basket. So we are looking at, you know, other ways to get our product out there and into the hands of people who maybe, yeah, I I feel like there are people out there who are like, this is my game system and I play only this game system. And that means they may not have certain niches of experiences open to them, like superheroes or sci-fi or whatever, because that system is very aligned with a particular genre. And, you know, this, this is a way to broaden your customer base. I don't know. It's that makes
0: sense. And ultimately it's a business, right? You got to make money. If you're not making money, then you're not a business
1: for much longer. So true. Um, True. Although I am not in this business to get rich.
0: (laughs) Valid. So at least make a living. Right. So, um, true.
1: A little profit is all I ask.
0: There you go. Um, so with that, now we mentioned a couple other uh uh the products for Star Handel Studios. You've also authored a couple other Savage Worlds products. Uh so Accursed and then I saw something about Dominion of Steel. Can you can you talk to those for uh, Suede and kind of what what they are and where they are and if you could throw in how you would integrate those into riffs would be awesome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, um I want to write an article for The Rifter about how uh, Saints and Sinners, which is our sci fi setting, could be used in rifts. Uh, like the, you know, Phase World can, might connect to it or something like that. That'd be kind of oh, interesting. Cool. Um, but uh, specifically, Accursed is a, uh, I like to describe it as Solomon Kane meets Hellboy. You play as these people who have been cursed and transformed into monsters who are fighting back against the witches that have conquered their homeland. So uh, it's it's very dark fantasy. It's very, uh, like I said, Solomon Kane ish is a good way to think of it. Um, and there's a new addition to that that we're working on right now uh, that will be coming out through Pinnacle. Um, we're not sure exactly when because their, their schedule is very, very full, but we're working on it. That's cool. And then... Dominions of Steel. Oh, so yeah. Sorry, really quick. Going back to Kirsten, there there is a first edition that you can find. It's I think it's on Drive Thru right now, um, but uh, this new version, the second edition, is going to be uh, fully up to date with Suede and have a lot more player options, player character things you can do. Awesome. Now let's talk about Dominions of Steel. <laughs> cool. Uh, Dominions of Steel is uh, a couple of friends of mine had this really great idea about. Uh, what if Game of Thrones, but also Battletech? Wow. So, Isn't
0: yeah, right?
1: anyway? <laughs> So the basic idea in, in Dominions of Steel is you are all members of a noble house that is struggling to achieve uh, prominence in this uh, place called the Sagittarium Expanse. It's a dwarf galaxy. And uh, the tool of war that is common to nobles of the feudal ho- houses is the Dragoon, which is this mighty 30-foot-tall battle robot that you pilot. Um, and so in Dominions of Steel, uh, there's uh, specifically for Savage Worlds, there's rules for, for mech combat, which that's new. There's rules for creating a noble house and, and actually uh, doing stuff with it in between adventures, uh, a lot of Savage Rules products have been coming out with uh, great rules for your spaceship or your superhero hideout or your headquarters, and so we have a, a version of that for the Noble House, um, and, uh, you know, it's got lots of really great political maneuvering and lots of really great uh, uh, bad guy robot teams to fight and things of that nature. Uh, if you like Battletech, if you like Game of Thrones, if you like the idea of stomping around in a giant robot in the far future, dealing with pirates and uh, political machinations. This is your game. <laughs> you can't see it, but Sean is throwing money at me in, in, in his in his little video window.
0: <laughs> if I had dollars, I'd be throwing them at you right now. So, actually, I'm I'm squinting and looking at your your shelfie in the back, and I'm like, okay, where's the battle tech? Oh, you got Renegade Legion. Is that behind your?
1: Shirt? Yeah, dude. Yeah, I've got all the. Dude, Renegade, All the dude, Renegade dude. Legion boxes. That's
0: good. Like, not, not many people know about that bad boy.
1: Awesome. It's a great setting. It's yeah. a really great setting.
0: You know, uh, are, are you know, are you probably are, Do you, that was actually supposed to be, that was actually FASA's, uh, the system is what they were actually submitting to try and get the Star Wars license uh, when it went to WEG.
1: I did not know that. Yeah. That's interesting.
0: Yeah, that's, that. that's where they actually designed that system and then when, when they didn't get huh. the actual uh, IP, they actually created their own, so.
1: That's fascinating. I, I, I love that kind of trivia. That's cool. Yeah. Thank you for telling me that. Yeah, you're welcome. So,
0: uh, Tri- going with trivia, and also going with your Dominion of Steel discussion, though. From what I understand, you are an amazing Birthright fan. To like, and so for people who don't understand, uh, don't know Birthright. Well, why don't you explain what Birthright is?
1: Uh, Birthright was a setting for D D. It came out in the '90s, and it was it's it's kind of the redheaded stepchild of the. Uh, TSR settings. They they have revisited almost every single one except Birthright. <laughs> right. uh, Birthright's special thing was, it was a slightly lower magic world where you uh, could play characters that uh, eventually could rule nations. So there was a very... In fact, I, I have a theory that uh, Birthright is in the Ur-Game of Thrones, because there is A Iron Throne that everyone's squabbling over. And it is a region of a broken empire into all these competing kingdoms. And it one of the designers was a guy named Ed Stark. So (laughs) just saying, I think (laughs) Birthright is the Ur Game of Thrones. But it's a it's a fantastic I love that setting with all of my heart, and I've ran uh, probably half a dozen d d campaigns set there um it's I, I worked on a fan project to bring it up to third edition um and you know it, it would just it, it it's one of those great white whales you know one day i'd love to 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 do the official new edition of birthright but i don't know if that'll ever happen
0: Oh, I could see that. Well, so going along with that though, how would you run a birthright campaign in Savage Worlds? Like what like is there any systems out there that you know of that kind of would help uh Uh, mirror that the reason i'm asking because one your your dominion of of steel sounds like that would probably be something that's important um but like honestly since since you guys created the tomorrow legion for some reason i actually wanted to create a campaign like birthright where you actually played the council of hope and are expanding within rifts so that thus why i'm asking how how would you go about doing something like that with savage worlds
1: uh, that's interesting. I think um, I believe that actually Fantasy Companions got some uh, interesting rules on creating a keep for your group, and that's a good starting place. Always, I always like to start small before you scale up, right? If you get the player characters used to running a keep that maybe has three villages that depend on it, which is what I did in my last game, that is something that they get used to, the idea of like, oh, I need to raise taxes, and I need to... Defend these people, and I need to make sure that they're having enough food in the winter and stuff like that. And uh, when you scale it up, when they when they do eventually start to rule a kingdom, they now have the like the basics of oh, keep people fed, money, you know, dealing with problems before it gets, becomes uh, too much of an issue. Um, Savage Worlds is a great system for that type of play. Five uh, E works also good for that. Um, uh, there's there's a lot of good. Uh, systems out there that would that would probably work so gotcha I get in
0: like when I was looking at it when I was I mean there there are a couple good uh, actually uh, savage world's deluxe products that kind of lean into that um, like oh um, uh, God what's the uh, the oh the barbarian uh, ice and fire uh, setting I'm, uh, I'm
1: drawing a blank damn it okay. sorry I don't know that one yeah, uh,
0: I'll have to look at uh, Hellfrost Hellfrost is the same.
1: Ah, Hellfrost, yeah. Okay, um,
0: that one, and then Beasts and Barbarians have some products that would work in that. But I kept getting wrapped around the like, well, I'm creating a war game here. Like, how do I like, how do I not war game it and make it actually like a role playing? That was kind of where I kept getting caught up personally. So.
1: I mean, you know, the way I I like to do it in a birthright is just make it all something that's connected to a character. Like, uh, one of my guys was, uh, one of my players was playing a knight. And he'd been knighted by the Countess and given, you know, his task, his code, right? So when he was uh, establishing his keep and had the villages nearby, I was like, okay, so the Countess expects these things of you. And if you don't do them, she's going to take your knighthood away. He was like, oh, well, yeah, uh, (laughs) you got it, right? Yes, ma'am. And then... There was a character who was a dwarf cleric, and I was like, well, you know, if you want to spread the faith of your god, uh, you can't actually do that through making that the state religion, if you want to. <laughs> or if you don't want to, I mean, there's there's good reasons behind that, too. But, uh, you know, it, I, you can find ways to get people involved where it isn't just necessarily bookkeeping and, and wargaming. It's actually the characters making decisions that affect other people. That's always what it boils down to.
0: Awesome. Well, when you create that uh, book, that source book for either Saints and Sinners or Knights Arcanum, I'll probably be <laughs> one of the first people to buy it. So. Awesome. Okay. Uh, so is there anything else, uh, any other thoughts or something that you would like to share, kind of focus on Savage Worlds, on, on your company, uh, anything you would like to share before we step away from Savage Worlds?
1: No, I think we covered it awesome cool all right
0: here I'm cracking my knuckles all right so um so honestly where I first ran into Ross was dark heresy and once again so so like many people i've got a really weird love-hate relationship with 40k games workshop all that kind of stuff we will avoid the politics of it but when i first had the very first copy of 40k rogue trader in my hands as a like you know middle school freshman high school kind of person it's like, oh, this is a war game. I want, to roll, I want D&D in this. Where is this? And guess what? The man sitting on the other side of the comm provided it. So, Brock...
1: I am a uh, Thanks. You, <laughs> you know, um, it's it's important for me. I always try to point this out. It's I did not create Dark Heresy. I just picked up the football after uh, Black Industries died. And um, so the original creators of Dark Heresy are Kate Flack and Mike Mason and Owen Barnes. Um, so those guys deserve the credit. But thank you. I I was the steward of Dark Heresy and the creator of the Rogue Trader and Death Watch things that followed it. So um, I do know a great deal about it. It is very close to my heart. So I'm, I'm glad that you are a, a fan of it because it's 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 a really great game system. Well... Maybe it's more of a great setting yeah. than a system. <laughs> and let's, let's but, uh, so let's
0: dissect that a little bit. So because you also sure. you also were on FFG Star Wars, which um, if you would see my shelfie, one entire shelf is literally the entire lines. So um, awesome. So it's one of those like both of those systems are a big part of a good portion of my gaming for uh, for a while. Um, so but. Let's dive into some design stuff, right? Like you, we talked about Savage Worlds. So Dark Heresy uh, kind of came out at the end of the uh, the D20 uh, era, and at least from my opinion, it kind of looked like it was some D20-ish mechanics, what removed uh, moved to some uh, percentile dice. Um, there's a lot of different systems out there: percentile dice, twenty-based. Now you've got Genesis. Like as a designer, does the mechanical system that you choose uh, drive the game and the narration or and or, or the lore, or do you look at a system like 40K and go, hmm, I think this kind of mechanic will work for it?
1: Well, uh, that's a complicated answer. Um, I will say that uh, John Wick, again, going back to John, he likes to say the system is story. But I, I agree with him on this particular point. That the more you can make the system relate to what the game is about, the more it will reinforce the core themes of what you're trying to do in-game. So Dark Heresy has, for example, uh, stats for corruption, stats for insanity. It has mechanics for accidentally summoning a demon with your psyker who kills the entire group, because that can happen. Um, It is a game of of low-powered people trying to do big things. And it was built on the framework of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, which is very similar. It's a percentile system. It uses, you know, mutations and insanity, um, all of those things. So really, it's it's a version of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay that it takes place in 40k um, system-wise, and that does reinforce some of the core th- the themes of the game. Um, now that having been said, when you design For a particular game, you always want to make the mechanic. Well, like like I said, system. You know, is story. That's that's John Wick's thought, and I I subscribe to that. So when I was working on Rogue Trader, for example, uh, we just got rid of pocket change. We just were like, it's you don't even need to track individual money anymore. You make a roll on a stat to see if you can afford it because you can afford a hell of a lot. so those are those are the things that that take place when you when you're a game designer and you're trying to get a certain feel um, yeah you you look for mechanics that will reinforce what you're trying to do
0: awesome and so um. So like we were just talking about the big scale games like uh like Birthright and and your uh, Legion of Steel like uh, so uh, again I if I were to give you my shelfie I actually have one of the uh leather bound numbered uh Rogue Trader volumes and uh, so, but the funny thing is, I never got Rogue Trader to the table because I couldn't wrap my head around how to run basically the Lord of a city in space. That was literally one of the things that just broke my brain. I couldn't figure out how to run that party. So, you know, from your perspective, how uh, how would you run that those those kind of games?
1: Yeah, Rogue Trader. I mean, it is a challenge because it is definitely a sandbox you are responsible for basically throwing out a bunch of plot hooks and seeing where the players go, okay? Uh, Yes, they do have a big-ass ship full of people, (laughs) and they have tons of resources. Rogue Trader is like the almost diametric opposition to Dark Heresy because you have all the money and stuff you'd ever need. The problem is, is that Rogue Trader is not a game about killing cultists. Rogue Trader is a game about exploring the dark reaches of space, who knows what the hell you're going to find out there. Um, and so it may be a thing that all your guns can't kill. It may be a thing where it's going to be more about politics and 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 uh, speechifying than uh, showing up with an army. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I'm really, really proud of, for example, is that uh, Owlcat is making a, a computer role-playing game based on Rogue Trader, and it uses... All the stuff that, that we came up with for that game is going to be in the, the the computer role-playing game. So, and they're doing really great stuff with making important choices and your characters wow. affecting the world around you. So I would say um, that is what we wanted Rogue Trader to be, was a, a sandbox where your choices were meaningful. Wow. <laughs> Whereas in Dark Heresy, a lot of your choices are more like, can I live another five minutes? <laughs>
0: So, uh, so are the uh, Cronus Expanse, is that, are they actually placing it in the Cronus Expanse? Wow.
1: Yes, they are. Yes, they are.
0: Sold! Up here, more money. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I've I've already got my collector's edition (laughs) reserved, but, uh, yeah, so that's, Rogue Trader is a challenge, and you're not the first person that's come to me and be like, how do I actually do this? Um, and I feel like one of the things we probably could have done a lot better is have an introductory adventure that does the thing for Rogue Trader that town does for Savage Rifts that it shows you what to do wow, and so, um, so that is learned. something I look back on and <laughs> wish that we had done better
0: so you learned it as a game designer nice <laughs> yeah it's it's funny like talking to some people about uh, dark heresy right like Personally, I, I kind of cut my teeth on, um, of course, D and D, but uh, Call of Cthulhu, Shadowrun, Cyberpunk, and there's a lot of people like I want to play the Inquisitor, not the people washing the windows. And I'm like, you don't play the Johnson in Shadowrun. You don't play the head of the corporation in Cyberpunk. You you play the people that are doing all the crappy stuff. Eventually, you could get there, but I I I've, the system worked. It fired on all cylinders for me. It worked really well, so. All right, um, but so with that, um, actually, we'll come back to that question here in a second. Um, so much like Savage Worlds, though, your uh, the 40k system, you had a wide range of power levels. So we talked about, you know, Dark Heresy, where you're the, the, the small team on the streets fighting off cultists. We talked about uh, Rogue Trader, where you're running a starship of thousands of, you know, mil- thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, and then... We got Space Marines. Like, literally, the superhuman, super-powered people of the 40K universe. How did you bring, like, be like, like the, the? I mean, it, it makes logical progression, but how did you tackle bringing Space Marines to the table in a playable way?
1: So, honestly, um, I think one of the only ways it works is in a system, in a a setup, I should say, where you are not all of the same group. And Death Watch is that perfect opportunity, because you're all from different chapters. So the goal with Death Watch was to make it about brotherhood, to make it about learning to forge bonds with people who are like you, but they have different traditions, they have different beliefs, they have different uh, ways of waging war or whatever. So, Deathwatch was uh, our attempt to put you in the head of a Space Marine in a way that allowed you to start at one place and end up in a different place to, to have an arc, right? To change your mind about other chapters or even, you know, the role of <laughs> Space Marines in the Imperium, uh, things like that. Uh, Deathwatch was a way for us to challenge those. Stereotypes and to present players with—I wonder what would happen if a space wolf and a dark angel were adventuring together, you know, <laughs> stuff like that.
0: That's awesome. I mean, yeah, and that's one of the like uh, definitely when I got the books, I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing. So thank uh, you. Yeah, like uh, virtual high, f- like this, like I told you, I was gonna fangirl out, and and this is where I'm fangirling. <laughs> so now. Uh, so, like, with Death Watch, let's sit there for a minute, because, you know, like, you guys did a great uh, job creating a world within the Calixis Expanse where you're dealing with all the threats and stuff that the, the Death Watch would work through. Now, one of the things in some of the, like, the the um, the Horace Heresy novels and stuff like that, they do a really good job of capturing where the Marines are also politically and organizational-wise beyond just being the humanity's massive killing machines, Right and so like and so i'm gonna ask you a question you know kind of some TLAR campaign stuff like i've done like the bad ab war are you familiar i'm sure you're familiar with that as the 40k file how would you take the bad ab war which is really just a kind of like a space marine civil war how do you how would you take that and actually turn it into a meaningful campaign that's not just all combat from a role playing oh
1: wow life? well So the Battle of War is actually um, fascinating. It's one of my favorite pieces of lore. um, And it really starts with the idea that this one Space Marine chapter, the Astro Clause, they feel like they're not getting their due. They feel like they're being uh, ignored. They feel like they're doing all this work and not getting any recognition for it. That's something we can all get behind. Like, we all understand what it's like to be like, man, hey, I, I deserve credit for the stuff I'm doing. So the Battle of war to me, I think the way I want to focus on it is, is about the kind of uh, the, the consequences of the uh, Codex Astartes and how they broke all the legions up into these individual groups and how sometimes these individual groups have their own agendas. Whereas, you know, but, prior to the heresy, the Primarchs were able to keep everybody kind of in line, you know, with their, their individual... Now, those guys have their own agendas, too, right? But in right. the Battle War, though, yeah, I think I think it would be fascinating to touch on, like, what does my chapter want? Why why do we have these bonds that force us into this conflict against our own battle brothers? Because we've sworn treaties, because we've sworn oaths, because of our honor, because of... Uh, uh, you know, sometimes because we just want to fricking fight <laughs> something that, that, that is, is on, on par with us. Right. Um, which I think the, uh, the Minotaurs, the Carcharidons were like, yeah, let's yeah. just, <laughs> let's mix it up. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of different, uh, hooks and anchors to, to bring in, uh, player characters. And, and not only that, like, what are the consequences? Like the Maelstrom is, is, a, is a nasty place and needs to be guarded. And if the Astroclaws are, are about done with that, then what, what's going to happen to all those people in the region? It's, it's, a, it's a really neat idea, and it's something I'd love to explore. I mean, if, if someone were to run a Death Watch campaign set in the War, I'd be all about it.
0: Nice. Um and so with that it wasn't there also like some thre- uh, threads within there of like some of the ministrorum and the inquisition that actually were really like working against the astral clause like creating an environment where the astral clause were literally like f you guys we're going our own route like like so the- Oh yeah so there is a lot of politicaling in that realm as well that you could probably pull in as well into something like that
1: yeah, I mean uh, the, that's a great setup too, because like the question is, you know, if if the apparatus of the Imperium is gonna work to to actively work against us, then why are we doing what we're doing in the first place? You know, uh, which is the question that the AstroClass had to answer. So yeah, yeah, it's 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 a it's a really cool setting, and yeah, um, I want to point out the all those really great details and stuff. Those come from the writer, which was Alan Bly. Uh, which was another Dark Heresy guy. So,
0: oh wow! Yeah. So did he There's actually a lot. do the work on the Imperial Armor books dealing with the the bad apple? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Those are those are also in my collection. So you know. <laughs> oh yeah, I love those books. They're great. So. Um, Awesome. Uh so the the follow-up question. So are you have uh are you well one Star Wars and Genesis. So like you were kind of on the front end of that as well. How how did you get involved like what was your role in uh bringing Edge of the
1: Empire to the table? <laughs> uh that's a funny story. So um Fancy Flight was pursuing the license for Star Wars and when they got it, they wanted to throw all their resources towards maximizing that license, which makes a lot of sense, makes right? Sense. It's a it's a big license. It's a great way to make money. Um, so they more or less uh, put the, uh, the the 40K stuff into sort of a... They, they stood down a lot of the resources that they had on that. And uh, we, we were transitioning over to 2nd Edition Dark Heresy anyway, so um, they asked me to help uh, Jay Little, who was the main designer on uh, Star Wars um, and so I came in and had some great discussions with Jay uh, my biggest contribution to um, Edge of the Empire is probably the the uh, uh, what are those guys the insects that are uh, bounty hunters um, the Gants the,
0: the Gand ah.
1: the Gand yes so gander in the game because i insisted that they needed to be there for example yes um i worked on the skill system and i worked on the like history of the galaxy stuff uh for that um i'm a big star wars fan i love um the rpgs i could talk to you i have so many stories of the west end d6 system for example i could just go on and on and on um so, yeah, we, one of the most interesting conversations that we had early on was we got all the designers to sit around and we started this, you know saying, hey, what kind of Star Wars game do we want to make? And I think myself and at least one or two other people were like, you know what we need to do is we need to get away from the Jedi. We need to do something on the edge of the galaxy with bounty hunters and scum and smugglers and all that stuff. And the question that came up was, Is do we really want to make our first product for Star Wars RPG with no Jedi? Is that is that a risk we're willing to take? And we all thought about it. I mean, this was not a small question. We thought about it for a while, but the response was yes. And I think you can see that now with like uh, shows like The Mandalorian, that that idea of Star Wars as a as a setting without necessarily getting into space wizards and laser swords is great people love that
0: well and it's one applaud like great choice i mean like uh, the going with edge of the empire i thought was a, a great start um it grounded it and it's actually funny because it actually followed the template you guys had already created with dark heresy rogue trader and you know death watch because hey let's start Start small and build big. And unfortunately, the reality is the Jedi and Force—that's big. And if you don't get that right in the beginning, you just lost the entire product line. Like that—that's that's the problem.
1: <laughs> yeah, actually, that was uh, that was delivered from on highs that they wanted a approach like 40k because that worked for 40k. So they wanted us to split up. They didn't want an all-in-one RPG to start with, okay. um, but. Yeah, it was us who came up with, like, let's do Smugglers and Scum and Bounty Hunters first. Um, because that was where I, a lot of us wanted to go. <laughs>
0: and it, it was awesome. I, I, I Again... I got the whole line on my shelf, and so it's one of those that I keep, I'm like, I'm playing Savage Rifts, I'm like, oh, I really need to get Star Wars back on the table. Um, <laughs> now, uh, so with Star Wars, of course, it's uh, amazing IP, all that kind of stuff, we all know it, we all love it. One of the things about the system that some people are like, what? what? Narrative dice system. So, going from the percentile dice, or the D6 WEG, or going from the D20 system, so like, where did the narrative dice come from? And like, what like were you involved with that development process?
1: I was just adjacent to it. Um, Jay Little is the lead designer, and he's the one who came up with the dice system, and he deserves all the credit for it. Um, the thing was, this is this is a bit of a history lesson, but Jay's first, well, one of his first jobs at Fantasy Flight Games was to make Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Third Edition, and the mandate on that product was pretty bold like the mandate from above was to create the most innovative thing on the market not a small ask wow and uh (laughs) yeah so jay struggled with that for a long time and, and eventually he came up with this idea for a dice pool that was not like your typical dice pools where you add and subtract dice or change the target number um, instead, he was like, I'm going to do dice with symbols, because Fantasy Flight had a lot of board games that used weird dice with symbols. Um, Descent is a, a great yep. example of this. A few other games used uh, dice with symbols as well. And Jay was like, what if I took those dice and, and that approach and, and and applied it to a role-playing game so that the dice pool never really... I mean, it can grow, but it's, it's more about what you roll and how you interpret it than... Getting more dice or bigger numbers, and from Warner Fantasy Roleplay Third Edition, that's he took that 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 dice pool idea and said, "Okay, I'm going to bring this to Star Wars." And he, and by then he you know had a chance to refine it to iterate on it. So uh, I think it's a it's a interesting system, and it is very narrative because basically you are interpreting every role through the lens of narrative. Um, now personally it's not my favorite system and I I think some of the flaws are that you can um, cancel out the results a lot and sometimes that cancels out to nothing which that's a bad result yeah. uh, for a die roll and I also I also don't um, I, I feel a burdened by always interpreting the dice like every single roll I have to come up with something um, I prefer more, uh, I prefer, I like doing narrative with ice. I do. I really, I do enjoy that, but I prefer it when it's less than every single role. That's all I'm saying. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's a good, it's an interesting system. It's a good system. It's absolutely playable, which is unlike some of the books behind me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, it was very innovative and Jay worked very, very hard on it. And I think he came up with something that was unlike anything we'd seen before. So.
0: Yeah, I mean, over the years, you know, like, sit it, get, sitting people down to play Star Wars and be like, what the hell are these dice? We're like, trust me, I'll, I'll walk you through it. Once you do it a little bit, you'll figure it out, but you know, it. everybody kind of has the stuff that they gyrate to, right? Um, actually, uh, but going all, part of the reason, I mean, again, Star Wars need I say more Uh, amazing world to play in. Um, I mean, there's some mechanics in there just like everything else. Like when you get into the uh, age of rebellion, it's like, Hmm, I'm not sure how this is going to work out, but we'll figure it out. So, um, so yeah, it's like, I I need to get uh, with, uh, I'm looking forward to edge, getting stuff back into production. That'll be, you know, that'll be a good thing for them. Um, Complete like segue. So did you live in Minneapolis when you were working for fantasy
1: flight? I did. I lived in uh, Saint Paul. Uh, it's a little suburb called Roseville, okay, and that's where the headquarters for Fantasy Flight Games was. Uh, now, Asmodee North America, I think.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I I stopped by there when I was PCSing up here to North Dakota, but I didn't actually like get to go into the building because we we had like seven hours to drive that day. But I pulled up and snapped a picture and shared it with all my friends. <laughs>
1: Oh, nice. That's cool. Yeah, there's actually there's a really cool gaming center you can go into there as well.
0: Yeah, it wasn't open yet before before we left, and so I, you know. Oh, okay. Would have pissed the wife off. I made the wife mad, so you know, it's like I'm not going to delay that. So, um, interesting side note. Um, I pointed out like, well, so we we just talked about Genesis. We talked we were talking about 40K. Um, I pointed out to you. Were you aware of the fan, uh, Dark Heresy? genesis uh conversion that's out on the internet
1: i think i have seen something about that um i haven't looked at it too carefully but i think that's great um i love it when people uh just enjoy a system so much or setting so much that they want to adapt it to their favorite rules i've done it everybody's done it I, I think it's. I think it's great. Um, yeah, the, yeah. A, the big actual, thumbs up for me. Go for it.
0: Yeah, the actual production quality on it is amazing. Like, well, mind oh you. yeah. Now, mind you, he's, he's fair using some things, but the production quality on the documents is awesome. I, I, I think he's got something there. And there's actually I I, some people
1: that do a podcast on it. Sweet. Yeah. Sh- uh, shoot me a link. I'd love to to take a closer look. Yeah.
0: Sounds good. The, part of the reason I was asking is on the website, it's like made by a man named Ross. I'm like did Ross Watson?
1: Uh, probably not me. No. <laughs> right.
0: Um, funny thing too, though. I uh, just recently found this. So, uh, Jason maker who worked on riffs, uh, a little bit on a couple products. He actually has a riffs conversion. He's currently play testing Genesis.
1: Uh,
0: do you mean Jason marker marker, Jason marker? That's it. That That's his name. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. He is a, he's a riffs guy, Robotech guy, a big Robotech guy. Um, and he worked with me on uh, Accursed, first edition. So. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad to hear he's doing something cool. I love it. Go, Jason.
0: Cool. Sorry, I know this is getting long, so I'll, I'll start kind of shutting it down. Uh, so, uh, 40K, though, kind of jump back, though. Wrath and Glory, that's kind of one of the most recent uh, things you were working on. Like, how was Wrath and Glory different from the ffg 40k line like like did you jump straight in as an inquisitor in space marines like how how did that system different from the other one
1: it, it is uh it is very different it is um the goal with wrath of glory was to take all of the levels of play and put it into a single book so if you wanted to play full-on inquisitor and a space marine working together, you could do that. If you want to play a bunch of hive gangers messing around in the the underhive, uh, you, you could do that too. So Wrath of Glory is a game where you have uh, game tiers. You choose as part of character creation, like what what kind of game are we playing? Um, and the tier of your game indicates what kind of characters you can play. So if you play like a tier one or tier two game, there's no space marines because space marines start at tier three. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be a scout, like a space rain scout might show up. Uh, but that's about the, the most you'd ever see of those level of characters. Um, but if you want to play like, hey, we are legit Inquisitors on Terra tracking down an assassination plot against the Emperor, you can do that too. That's like a Tier 5 game. And wow. you can have full-on like uh, uh, assassins and stuff like that in your group. I think that'd be great too. So Wrath of Glory was my attempt to create a game that that included all the different levels of the 40k uh the fantasy flight games in one space um it is a a dice pool game it uses d6s um there is a mechanic where you narratively interpret your dice but that only occurs on a one or a six Mm. on a special die doesn't happen every roll (laughs) uh and uh wrath of glory uh was uh, kind of got a flawed release through Ulysses, and fortunately for me, and for people who love the game, Cubicle Seven picked up the license, and they have made a really uh, improved version of the core rulebook, um, which I did get to work on, and very very happy with. So I, I look forward to people, you know, enjoying uh, Wrath and Glory, which um, I feel is a, a a good system. It's the only game system I've ever made from scratch. Oh wow. so pretty excited about it
0: that's awesome and so with ulysses spiel you were also working on torg now honestly i've i've been parallel to torg i guess it was one of those who, it like rift shadow run that was uh, the rift shadow run torg that was the one i didn't didn't actually get in so if you could kind of explain torg eternity to everybody and what your
1: role in it was sure so uh torg and rifts are surprisingly uh similar in some ways uh both of them feature Earth invaded by other realities. Torg says, okay, instead of like putting all those realities in a blender, what we're going to do is we're going to have like a buffet table, and you can go to choose some of this reality, some of that reality, some of this reality. Uh, it is a game where you can have uh, Snake Plissken, Sherlock Holmes, Conan, uh, and uh, a cyberpunk character all adventuring at the same time doing stuff around the world because uh earth has been invaded by other realities where those realities overwrite our own are called cosms, and those cosms have their own what are called world laws things are just different there if you go to the living land the living land is a primitive it's a it's a it's a realm of primitive adventure think uh the lost Uh, Land of the Lost or Jurassic Park, right? It's just dinosaurs and jungle. Well, technology doesn't work there, okay? (laughs) So uh, it's a very different place than when you go to uh, the cyber papacy, which is where technology absolutely works, and it's a very oppressive surveillance state of this corrupt religion uh, that, by the way, has a, a an app on your phone to track how pious you are, <laughs> <laughs> for example. Nice. <laughs> right. Yeah, so y- you adventure in these different realms. You are, in Torque Eternity, you're what's called a Storm Knight. You're one of a few people that have been uh, given uh, an ability to transition from one one world to another, one reality to another, without losing who you are. So Storm Knights can go into the living land with an M sixteen and their M sixteen still works because the Storm Knight carries their own reality with them. Wow. But that is why only a few people on Earth get to do that. Um, so you're you're a you're a very small group when you're the player characters in Torque Eternity. Um, super fun, great setting. It's got a really interesting system. It uses decks of cards in really fascinating ways. Um, I highly encourage anybody who wants to get a, a different feel out of role-playing and try Torg, because it is something that opened my eyes and was like, wow, I had no idea you could do all these fun things with cards and uh, logarithmic uh, progression and stuff like that. It's really neat.
0: Well, that's cool. Yeah, if I'm at a convention, I'll have to look it up. So.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's a great convention game.
0: Awesome. Cool. Well, I've eaten up a good chunk of your evening, and I really, really, truly appreciate you coming onto the show and talking with me. It's It's been an honor. I really appreciate it. Is there anything else that you want to address, uh, point out, anything you want to like close out for the final word in the show?
1: Uh, I just want to say thanks for bringing me on board. Uh, I have uh, wanted to talk about Savage Rifts for a long time and uh setting this up has been its own challenge but i am i'm so proud to be here and speaking to uh, fans of savage riffs because it is something near and near to my heart i've loved it for a really really long time and i love talking about it and i'm glad that uh you have this show that reaches out to people and, and brings them into the community of savage riffs players um, which i think is a great community and there's lots of uh Great game masters out there, great players. I can't wait to see where it goes from here uh, because it's in good hands. Uh, Roberson uh, running the show, I am sure that it's going to it's gonna just keep going to success after success. So thank you very much uh, for bringing me on board, uh, Mr. Beacon. I am so glad to have been a part of the Voice of Hope.
0: Awesome. I really appreciate it, man. If you have any refugee questions, wish to leave a mission report, or submit a Legionnaire for Legionnaire's Last Call, please email me at voiceofhopepodcasts at gmail.com. Please join our community at Facebook, Savage Rifts, me, we, Savage Rifts and check out SavageRifts.com. The Voice of Hope is a Savage Rifts fan podcast. The music in the intro and prologue are killers and rhinos theme by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Savage Worlds and Deadlands are copyrighted 2016 and trademarked to Pimplona Entertainment Rifts in the Megaverse are registered trademarks of Palladium books.